Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. If you are new to listening, welcome. Our podcast covers social media news and digital marketing trends for anyone who is involved in business. So whether you are in B2B or B2C, whether you're on the marketing, the sales team, or any other team, we go over tips, trends, and leave you with some actual items to apply or think about. First off, though, if you are new, I'm Sarah, account manager here at 21 Handshake. I'm Ashley, also an account manager. My name is Alex, and I'm in charge of visual content. Today, we're also joined by Brian, that's Brian with a Y, who is the sales director at Email Oversight, and we're talking about all things email, specifically mistakes to avoid when sending your email campaign. We also get to learn how their platform optimizes email list building and validates emails so you don't get marked as spam. But first, it's time for our digital marketing news segment where we dived into what has caught our attention over the last week in digital and social media marketing. So Ashley, I know I've often wondered about this. Where is it best to put your hashtags when you do an Instagram post? Is it the first comment? Is it in the post itself? Is it five star down from your (laughs) initial content? So you came across an article and shared it with me about that exact thing. And I think it's really interesting. We actually talked about this on a previous podcast episode where we talked about, I think, hashtags. Yes, um, yeah. So go check that out if you're curious. But in the episode, we did talk about um, options of where you could put your hashtags in your Instagram post. Um, a lot of people put them in the captions, but some people feel like it muddies up the captions. So a lot of people started putting them in the first comment. Right. Um, but this article has done a study on which one is actually more effective. So results are in, um, putting the hashtags in the caption is more effective according to their results. Um, so if you wanna like look more into the study and how they conducted it, feel free to check out um, our show notes. But I just thought that was fascinating because I personally am on the side of moving my hashtags to the first comment because I think it it looks cleaner. Yeah. But I don't know, I might start moving them to the caption if I'm going to get better results. I guess that does make sense. I've seen a lot of people not do first comment lately and they're doing like five stars down Mm -hmm. or, you know, just something that has spacing down and then they'll put all the hashtags. Yeah, so. And this is the first time we've seen like concrete like data on, you know, what is more effective. So I definitely recommend checking it out if you're interested. Um, I know I, I thought it was a good read. So yeah, definitely great. We'll link that in the show notes. And Alex, for some reason, this story, it just made me feel good. And it just shows how a viral video on social media can do some good in the world. I know we often think, ah, it's just like bad or whatever, that stuff that happens. But can you explain a little bit more about that story? Yeah, so there was a student in Florida, and I believe the student was in fourth-ish grade, but I, I think elementary school. Okay. And they had a college colors day. And this Florida student is a huge University of Tennessee fan. Uh, Tennessee is the color orange, and they had they had this college colors day. Uh, the student did not have any University of Tennessee official apparel or anything that actually said Tennessee or the football team, whatever. So what the student did was a he got an, uh, yellow, uh, an orange shirt and then basically took a piece of paper, drew, you know, as a in fourth grade oh, art levels, yeah. drew U.T. dot on a piece of paper and then basically pinned it to his shirt. Very innovative for and a fourth grader. <laughs> the, the 
the teacher who shared this story originally on on Facebook said that the student came in and was super excited because you know they were just happy that you know excited about college color day and then apparently by noon the student was totally in tears because you know he didn't have a shirt that was an official shirt that said University of Tennessee it was kind of homemade it was it's kind of you know it's sort of roughly put together yeah, kids can be mean at that age yeah so university of tennessee got wind of this and long story short they ended up sending him an enormous box of of merchandise of hats you know the big one number one finger pointer oh, shirts yeah. sweatshirts all kind of stuff and what they actually did taking it a step further was they took the the design that he had made on his piece of paper that he had pinned to his shirt and made it an official shirt that they are now selling in their merch store oh that's wow so that, awesome. that's cool and I, apparently has actually done really well and it it, it <laughs> i wonder uh, if he's getting some royalties <laughs> <laughs> but uh it it got a lot of traction on social media so just an example of a good story that went a, a good feel-good story that went viral on social. Right, like, yeah. So if you're a business, I guess the takeaway there is, hey, you never know when something's going to go viral. If you're putting good out in the world, um, good might come back to you. Mm-hmm. So just a, another just feel-good story there. The next story that caught my eye is, and this ties actually really well into our discussion today, Um, It was a new report by Get Response, which is an email marketing provider, and it's released its latest global email marketing benchmarks, which analyzed just a ton of emails over a bunch of different countries and industries. And we'll link that in our show notes so you can dive into it a little more. But um, here are the main points that um, they found. They found that your subject line needs to express value. So according to the report, use these words that focus on value. Top three were newsletter, PDF, ebook. So if you're looking to, especially as a B2B, um, PDF or ebook might be something you want to think about including in your subject line. Um, The next thing they discovered was that fewer emails drive higher engagements. So, um, you know, one newsletter per week, they said, would produce the highest campaign results. So don't go spamming your your contacts, your prospects. Keep it to one if it's going to be one of maybe those generic email newsletters. And the third thing they found that was effective was Urgency and time-sensitive offers are most effective within the first hour. So like a flash sale or something that's limited, um, they said if it has um, first-hour engagement, it's going to be more successful. So those emails have an open rate of about 19% within the first hour, which is actually pretty, pretty good. So those are three um, little email tips, and we actually have some more email tips as we have Brian from Email Oversight on with us today, and we'll dive into um, some mistakes that you might be making and how not to make those mistakes in your next email campaign. Welcome, Brian, to the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. First Thank off- Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Give us some background on email oversight. What do you guys do? How long have you been doing it? Um, what need are you fulfilling? Kind of just give us the scoop. Sure. So email oversight is essentially a smarter solution um, for email verification and, and data enrichment. So what that sort of means is uh, we're a one-stop shop for an email marketer to come and take their email marketing lists 
and clean them up per se to make sure that every email address inside those email marketing lists are safe and deliverable prior to any email deployments. So what does that mean sort of in layman's terms? It means anything that that in the email address lists or the marketing list that they have that potentially could be um, giving them a hard bounce, uh, could be misspelled, uh, could have any errors in them, uh, could cause them sort of damage to their email reputation. My system will find that and then remove that for you. So at the end of the day, you have the most safe and deliverable email marketing list and you have the ability to monetize that data as best as you can. And we offer out some solutions on the side. So if you're missing any uh, data fields like your first name, last name, or perhaps uh, gender or ethnicity or date of birth, just something that could help you enhance your email de- deliverability or your email deployments, um, we can u- utilize an append or an enrichment service to sort of fill in those missing fields of information. It just gives you the added ability to start doing some customized things with your deployments or your email marketing campaigns. I love that. And just email list building is so important. And I think that, you know, we kind of forget about that these days because social media is so hyped, but email still is actually one of the most effective ways to generate leads and sales. In fact, I was reading on your site um, a report that email has a 75% success rate for lead generation lead generation versus other platforms. So it's still so huge. So having those um, valid emails and then having that extra data to connect with your customers or the leads, our prospects is just so important. And that's why we brought you on today. We wanted to talk a little bit, since you are an email guru, um, just about some common mistakes people are making with their email marketing and then how they can work to better that. But first, like you said, that starts with a valid list. <laughs> so tell us, why is this so important? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the common misconception, um, especially for small businesses, you know, not everybody's working with high volumes of email addresses, right? So you get a lot of medium to smaller style lists where, and when I say lists, I'm always talking about email marketing lists. I start to dive into my own little jargon and, and dialogue sometimes, and I think it might get lost in translation. So anytime that I mention it, like lists, I'm always speaking about email marketing lists. So I think a lot of times when companies have their email marketing lists, um, they're not huge in volume, right? So I think it, it gets um, it gets lost in translation a little bit that you still have to take care of that. You know, just because those email addresses at some point opted in to receive maybe your newsletters or more information about your products, it doesn't mean that those email addresses are going to stay fully active or fully deliverable forever. You know, the the, the average attrition rate for any normal email address is about one to 2% every month, meaning every ISP. So like Yahoo or Hotmail or Gmail, any of those major ones that we're all familiar with, they're deactivating accounts at a very high clip. If you don't active within your email marketing and or your, your email logins and you're not you know, signing into your accounts, they're going to turn your accounts off. So what I mean by that is you want to keep as much of an eye on your email marketing list as you can. So utilizing um, services like my service where you're constantly making sure the email addresses are verified, they're valid. That means that they're going to deliver into that person's uh, email address, right? They're going to they're gonna get 
sent and then they're going to get delivered and you're not going to get what's called a hard bounce. And a hard bounce is essentially when the email address doesn't exist or the email address is not receiving mail anymore. And so the more you avoid that, the better placement within that transaction will become. In other words, it'll go to your inbox as opposed to your junk, or it might go, uh, it might deliver at a faster clip and you might have um, less of a chance of that email service provider blocking you. So valid email addresses are not only obviously good from an engagement standpoint, right? We always want to send to somebody that wants and that can deliver mail, but it's also good for our reputation because the reputation essentially is what's going to allow you the ability to continually send your mail and not have these sort of blips on the radar, or these bumps in the road where you know you're having uh, delays in your delivery or you're having um, you know no inbox placement as opposed to just going into the junk folder. So all that plays into part going back to square one, which is the email list and keeping that as fresh as you possibly can, keeping that as up to date as possible, always running and making sure you're sending to engaged users. So building that email list is obviously the important part of getting the numbers up, but maintaining it is really where you're going to see sort of the fruits of your label uh, labor pay off later on. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that email list. Now you mentioned people opting into it, and but what if you're like a newbie marketer out there, sure. newbie business, and you're like, ah, oh, someone approaches you and is like, we can sell you this email list of all these emails, and that's just going to pump up your email marketing list. And yeah, explain a little bit about list buying, and sure, you know, I'm sure you get that question a lot. <laughs> and whether it's good or bad to do that. Sure. So I'm of the old school where there's nothing wrong per se with the idea behind buying an email marketing list. If you're prospecting and you're more in what we call like the B2B space where you're working with business to business as opposed to business to consumer, buying an email list is a good way to get sort of an entry level way of, of prospecting without doing the work, right? So it's basically like taking the place of a cold call. You're getting these or, or, or the email version of a cold call. You're getting these email addresses via this third party source and you're trying to send out whatever information that you can engage them with to get them eventually to opt in or learn more about your products and services. But in this particular scenario, more specific when you're doing business to consumer, buying an email list is usually a a big red flag no-no. Those consumers, you don't know anything about them. You don't know where this list was um, built at or how they were opted in originally more than likely they have what they call the opt-in information, which is the URL that they opted in from, the date timestamps, all of that stuff. But it's not really, you don't know if it's relevant to what you're you're pushing per se. So if you're marketing hypothetically to um, you know, men over 50 who are who are looking to uh, be motorcycle enthusiasts and you purchase this list that claims that you have all that and then you open that list up and you're just diving through sort of the segments of data that's in there, and you're looking at these data fields and it's women in their 20s and they opted in to receive more information about, um, you know, uh, a makeup per se. Well, that that just kind of throws the whole thing off. Right. So purchasing email lists from that side of things is usually a big no, no. They just don't know enough about the consumer to really find value. But what I find, again, from going from the old school with it, what I find is that usually a lot of that email data is no good. 
So it can cause you a lot of problems from the sense, obviously, from an engagement level, it's just not relevant. You don't really know enough. But also from just the semantics of the actual list itself, you don't know those email addresses nine times out of 10. And maybe that's a little aggressive. Maybe seven times out of 10, probably not deliverable. Um, You might have some format issues in there. Um, You could have some very old email addresses in there, which again, is just as bad as having email addresses that are just not engaging. So that's kind of goes loops back into why you would always want to use a, a, an email verification provider or platform like ours, just to confirm all that if you did go that route. But yeah, big red flag. If you're doing business to consumer, you just not, there's not enough information behind what you're buying uh, to put real relevance behind it. So you just don't, and most people don't want to take the risk um, of, of doing it. It can cause more harm than good. And you'd rather go organic with it. And you went and talked about social media before. I mean, you can drive the same amount of leads through social media and then have them go into your email platform or your email campaigns at some point. I mean, it's just as effective and you're going to get a higher engagement rate. And it's going to be much safer. I have a quick question for you, Brian. And mm-hmm. back to what you were talking about at the beginning, I thought you said something interesting. We're more, we're more likely in a B to... B scenario uh, to click on a quote unquote cold email. And do you think that's just because we're more used to the culture of like cold calling within the business world? And that's something that is a total no-no really within the the personal or the B2C world? I do. I think that we, and that's a great, it's one of those questions too. Like, so we all as business owners have that business mentality where we're used to getting certain kinds of emails or we're used to getting certain kinds of phone calls. Mm -hmm. But if you took us out of that setting and you moved us into like just checking our own personal emails, those same types of emails wouldn't even put a blink in our eye, we would put them either delete or we'd put them right into the spam folder. So for us, it's definitely the how you're engaged at the time, meaning if you're working through more of the business aspect of things, like your mentality is just different than looking at your personal. So yeah, you're 100% right. I think it's just we're used to certain things looking and feeling a certain way. So you're more likely and maybe not to engage, but you're more likely to read a little bit more. Um, than you would if this was on, like, say, your personal email address. So that's why they tell you on the consumer side of things, you really have to be mindful of your audience um, because it's their mentality and your, your a, a, the business mentality behind that's not going to fly. It doesn't usually work. The call to action there is usually far too uh, aggressive and and far too um, like salesy. Versus like the consumer side of things, you, it's much more soft. It's much more approaching. You're trying to engage the, the interest levels and and give them more thing, like entice them more to engage inside of the email, and then obviously find out later on what you want them to do on the site that you're driving them the tra- driving the traffic to. So yeah, you're 100 percent right on that. I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I've, I guess I'd never really thought about it in that simple of a sense of a you know a cold email being more effective in the B two B environment than the B two C. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And you brought up some good points there about the salesy type of emails and such. And so I think that's a perfect jumping off point to dive into um, what other kind of email campaign mistakes people make. And I thought, you know, we could dive into that topic and, you know, pick your brain about what are some email mistakes that people have made that you've noticed and, you know, some tips on, hey, don't do this. 
but do that instead. And I think the first sure. one that um, I've noticed you guys talk about on your site is um, the importance of an email service provider, um, or as you guys say, the ESP. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's important about that? And um, why are sometimes people making a mistake in that aspect? And kind of let's dive into that a little bit. Sure. So, I mean, the easiest way to explain sort of the email, the ESP versus doing things yourself is most everybody in the consumer world now, if you're driving a newsletter, if you're driving personal emails to your customers what, in, in smaller droves, almost everybody's using some semblance of an email service provider. Um, sometimes people use, you know, smaller end things like um, outreach or something that's just generic and small level volume and all that. And others are using, you know, higher volume things like constant contact or eye contact and more, I guess, um, I guess viable brand type names of email service providers. But the, the common goal is the same. An email service provider's environment is going to yield you more success than your own personal environment. And what I mean by that is, their ability to send an email an email marketing campaign successfully is significantly higher than yours that you would be able to do on your own. They've developed their own uh, reputation. Um, they have their own sending practices. They understand, and this is always the hope when you use a good one. You know, there obviously are just as many bad ones as there are good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, they understand um, the environment that they're sending to, so they understand the different filtering technologies of all of the various uh, ISPs, which is the internet service providers like your Yahoo's and your Hotmail's and your Gmail's and all that. They understand those. So they they know when they have to throttle back in the volume that's being sent or how they have to approach specific um, filtering technologies to get you inbox placement or to even get you to fully delivered. So you're always going to be handicapped if you're trying to you know save money or whatever your reasons are to not use a, a full service email service provider or an ESP like that. Um, so you, you, you definitely, you just have more, um, you have more at your disposable, but your disposal when you're using an ESP, uh, you have more, uh, features inside of an ESP. You can have, you know, some of them let you customize, um, your campaign. Some of them let you do full service list management in there, meaning you can host your email marketing lists, segment your opens and segment your clicks and, uh, archive your unengaged users. And, um, you know, a lot of them will handle your feedback loops and it's just, it gives you more of an ability. Uh, actually it gives you a, a more inline, um, visibility into the success of your, your campaigns by utilizing a full service email service provider. So especially in this day and age, it definitely makes a lot more sense as you, you know, that's what everybody's leaning more towards to do. Yeah, totally agree with that. And um, just some popular ones in this space. Um, if people aren't familiar with that, it would be like a MailChimp or right. you Constant Contact. Um, yeah. There's a lot of them out there. ConvertKit. Um, you know, there's a, a yeah, lot a, out a there. Weber, there's a ton. And, and that's the thing, you know, there's so many, I think sometimes it becomes overwhelming, especially if you're a smaller scale email marketer and you're yes. just so not maybe necessarily new to the space, but new to the bulk side of things and getting more email out that a lot of that, those um, email service providers, it's overwhelming to see all that. So you definitely do your research, you know, ask a lot of questions. Uh, that's always my, my number one when people always ask, you know, us at email oversight, Oh, who do you recommend for a really good ESP? I could give you a hundred. It's really the personal preference for you guys. Like, 
How often are you sending the mail? Um, what kind of mail are you sending to? Are you sending to people that have opted into your website or opted into, you know, are you using a third party sourcing? Uh, there's all very, like, th- there's so many different variables involved and every ESP is going to do something different and they're going to offer something different. So, you know, do your research and make sure that they're going to offer you what you need and not necessarily what they tell you you need. And obviously, your size is going to all depend on that as well. It's, you know, the cost associated with that as the emails that you're trying to send out. So it's, uh, it's definitely good to do your research and there's not, there's no one better than the other per se. Everyone has, you can use multiple. You don't have to use just one. You know, you might have uh, some that do better with certain styles of email than others do. So I always just tell everyone, do as much research as you can, ask a lot of questions because you're just going to learn as you go and you're going to, and the process is only going to yield you more information to p- make the best choices. Good tips there. Yeah. Good tips there. And Brian, you're so right. Um, email marketing, I think to the average team can be kind of overwhelming. Um, so what tips do you have for um, managing an email list? I think um, the average person would load in as many emails as possible, trying to send their message out to as many people sure. as possible, but not really going through and managing the list on a regular basis. What would you say are like best practices for that? So I'm, I'm, there's a, I'm a rule of three person. I think it also might be my OCD. I buy things in threes. So <laughs> uh, I, the, the three biggest pieces of advice I can give you on the email list management side, number one, always first and foremost, clean the list. I don't care how how you've organized it. I don't care how you've acquired it. Email attrition is is very real. It's very legitimate. And obviously, it depends on the ages of your lists to see how aggressive it can be. But just validate it, clean it, make sure that you everything in there is is safe to send to, but also deliverable. The worst thing you can do is get everything set up, go into your email service provider, load this list up, and then you have a 25% hard bounce rate. The ESP calls you and says, no more. Your account shut down. I'm not sending you this anymore. And now you're starting back from scratch. They also probably didn't allow you access back in there. So if, if you wanted to know what those 25% that hard bounce, you can't get them now. So be, do your diligence. Make sure that your, your email marketing lists are fully deliverable, safe to send to. They don't have any of these crazy format problems. That's number one. Always first and foremost. Number two segmentation. I don't, it doesn't matter what level of an email marketer you are. It's such a simple thing to do. You can segment based on anything, but the biggest uh, and and the easiest thing to segment on is engaged users and non-engaged users. If I'm sending an email to somebody who I know has recently opened or clicked my email, there's a higher likelihood or a higher percentage of them to now open or click my next email or that particular content drove more interest to this segment of users. So now I'm gonna focus some campaigns specifically to those users with similar content. So knowing the segmentation of your lists that are active versus non-active is gonna be a huge, huge thing for you guys uh, you know, out in the email marketing world to utilize because you're now able to say, I can start to tweak my email marketing campaigns differently to the non-engaged users to see what is going to make them more active within my campaigns. Maybe it's the content. Maybe it's um, the subject lines. Maybe it's um, the design of it. Maybe they just don't want anything to do with what I'm sending. And so maybe I need to archive. It's, it's, it's a segmentation is first and foremost, and it starts really at the easy level 
of, of active and non-active, which you can indicate it as something like an engaged user. So an open or a click, um, you can indicate it as somebody that's purchased some, something from you versus somebody who's just, you know, been opening and clicking. You can segment how you want, but utilizing a really good segmentation, um, pr- process or practice is going to get you to that next level of understanding your lists and understanding the customer. Yeah. And then number three, it's kind of like, it's, it's sort of a hybrid of segmentation and then cleaning in a different way. So I call it archiving. Uh, some people call it um, uh, deactivation and reactivation. You can kind of put it however you want to put it. But essentially, there's only so many emails that you can send before you start to see a trend within that email list. And what I mean by that is you're going to find certain people just are not interested in what you're sending. And that's okay. And that's why we talked about segmentation. And that's why we talked about doing that. But at some point during that process, you've got to make a determination on some of these email addresses. If they're not interested, they're not interested. So what I like to do is I like to call it archiving and then going back later on and trying trying a re-engagement campaign with them. And before you do that re-engagement campaign, you're going to re-clean your list. So you're always going to take the segment of users that was not engaged for whatever period of time is normal for you. Some people like to say 30 days. Some people like to push it out to 60 and 90 days. I would never... I would never go more than 90 days. If somebody's not opening or clicking an email within 90 days, I mean, they're just whatever you're sending is just not relevant to them. So archiving those users, let them sit, let them marinate for a little while, re- reassess the situation, come up with a, a really cool idea for what they call a re-engagement style campaign. Maybe you rebrand your newsletter specifically to them, or maybe you start in, uh, int- introducing new products and services or just information out there. Um, and then take those old archived users, re-clean them, and then resend the new email campaign, uh, in, again, away from what they call your production mail, which is the the email addresses that are, you know, make, not necessarily making you money, but the ones that are engaged, the ones that are active. So this way, it gives you the opportunity to not just sit on data that you're that's not being sent at all. Um, you're just letting it sit for a little while. Um, reassessing the the content that you're sending, recleaning those email addresses again because you're taking time away from the deployments. So you want to make sure what you're sending to is deliverable and safe, and then see if the re-engagement campaign can get them in there. But those are the three ways. Like for me, you can really utilize a, a, a nice quality setup if you're just cycling through those steps, you know, as consistently as you can. Something that I wanted to expand on uh, that you spoke about in that first point, Brian, is um, if you if you're new to an ESP and you are uploading mm-hmm. a new list, a lot of times they will have you like like checkmarked and you verify that you got those that list via safe practices, and it's not going to be full of all these inactive emails because, like you said, you can actually get in trouble with your ESP. Um, you know, if 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 a quarter of those aren't delivering or if they're all going to spam. Um, they're going to think that you didn't get those via, via safe practices and they, they can, they can shut down your account. That is something that they actually will actively do and do pay attention to. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And you got to remember that most email service providers, it's not their first rodeo. So they're very right. aware of the engagement rates that, that you should be expecting on a highly deliverable, 
um, you know, uh, high quality opt-in style list. If you've acquired your leads first party, they assume that this is content that your audience wants. These are emails that your audience wants. And that these are not hundred percent deliverable, a bit aggressive, but you're going to have a 98 to 99% deliverability rate. Mm -hmm. And so when they start to see things that don't add up, especially email service providers that don't accept what they call third-party mail, which is essentially going back to that adage that you talked about before, which is purchasing lists. When you purchase lists, it becomes a third-party list versus a first-party, which is you acquiring things organically. So they know the differences in those engagement rates and the activity to go about. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not just looking at a hard bounce rate and saying, wow, the delivery is really poor on this. It's also about, wow, the engagement really stinks on this. Like they have absolutely nothing going on with regards to high open rates or high conversion rates or high click rates or anything that would make more sense if this was first party, uh, you know, organically acquired style data. So yeah, it, it definitely, there's a multifaceted approach from their side. And like, like I said, I mean, They've been around the around the bush a few times. I mean, they they know what to expect and they know how to how to help you, but also hurt you in the sense that if it's going to hurt their their resources, they're not going to let you send. Right. So true. So we we've, we've talked a fair about about making sure that your list is clean, that your emails are verified, etc. Talk to us a little bit about the design of emails themselves. So whether that be you know, the copy, whether that's the actual, you know, the, your art within, sure. within the email. And I'm curious also if you guys have seen, um, and I'm sure this obviously varies, you know, customer to customer, but if there are certain types of emails that you find have more success. Right. So yeah, I think there's a kind of two prong here as well. So it's first off kind of the subject line that gets them hooked in and then mm-hmm. maybe the design and copy that that keeps them. So kind of attack both of those um, mistakes that people make in those two regards, the subject line and the design. I think it goes hand in hand. At the end of the day, we're now in a mobile environment as much as we are in a stationary environment. So the subject line becomes more important now than probably it was five, six years ago, because if you're on your desktop, almost every um, email functionality allows a preview screen, right? So if you use Outlook or you use Yahoo or Gmail, um, if you if you have an email that pops up on your screen, like on your personal email, the preview is already there. Mm-hmm. So if you're just if you happen to have your mouse over that you know subject line if if you have it enabled within your inbox and we're all assuming that this email gets delivered to your inbox um, if you have it in there you're already seeing the content and looking at the subject lines so it, if I look at things now like you have to treat everything that everybody's on their phone so mostly everything that comes on your phone now is subject line only. And then if you go into the inbox, you'll see all the rest of that content. So, you know, going back to the point of the, the appropriate or the interesting or the, uh, the impactful subject lines, that's your, that's your, your, your starting point, right? Like that's your icebreaker. So you've got to make sure like everyone talks about content. The content of that is equally as important as the content there, because without it, there's no call to action. There's no interest level. There's no reason for me to read through. So you definitely make sure that you, whatever you're, you're peddling, whatever you're pushing, um, give them something of interest, or at least, you know, give them that, you know, lemonade for sale style thing where you see it and they're like, Oh yeah, no, I, I do. I do need to, to click this email. I do need to open this email. I got to figure out what's going on with what they're talking about. So 
it has to be, uh, you know, in, engage style subject line, but it also has to be relevant. The, I think a really big misconception from the old days of, of big bulk email de- delivery is throw a bunch of trigger words in there just to get them in the door. So like, oh, free this or click here now before it's too late. Like there's a there's there's something to be said about utilizing some of the buzzwords, but it has to be relevant because the last thing you want to do is have a ton of um, of opens and then no engagement thereafter because the two the subject line and the content had nothing to do with each other. So I would say it definitely starts there. And then going into the actual content itself, like the design, um, if it's newsletter related, you definitely want to make sure it's not too lengthy. Um, they usually say like, if you can't read through an entire newsletter in three minutes or less, there's just too much there. Um, like when we do our own email oversight newsletters, I keep it to like, it's three sections. It's the same three sections every time and the content within each section changes. So we, you know, you're, you're highlighting new things and you're, you're showcasing interesting tips and and all that. But at the end of the day, you can read through that sub three minutes. So if it's too wordy, it's definitely going to be a little bit too much. You have to find the common ground between text and HTML. Um, too much text can be more like you're reading a novel than it is that you're reading content. So you got to be, you got to be careful there. Um, too much HTML is basically like, like a little kid reading a picture book. They're never going to learn to read and they're never going to get to that next level. Um, so you have to find the happy medium between the HTML, um, you know, whether it's just images or whether it's just, um, you know, large image to, to click links. Um, you have to be careful there. Um, obviously don't too many hyperlinks. Like a lot of people get very hyperlink happy. So they put tons and tons of these hyperlinks inside the, the, the body of the email. Because the idea is they want to drive them to as many different sites as they can that are relevant to what they're pushing or what what they're trying to drive traffic to. So you got to be careful, not obviously just from a visual standpoint, because sometimes it looks very sloppy, um, but also uh, on the delivery side of things, too many hyperlinks can get you blocked. So a lot of uh, a lot of filters will say, oh, nope, sorry, not interested in that. We're just going to divert that right into the junk folder. So you definitely have to be careful with the design when you're talking about obviously not just what you're you're saying there and you know making sure that your brand identity is all over the place but also how it's being laid out the length um you know text to html ratios um all of that kind of puts together uh you know a a big picture item of how it's going to engage with your users how it's going to be portrayed uh by your users yeah that's some really good tips there and i think Probably just to add a little bit there is if you aren't sure where to start at, you know, start just testing a little bit. Maybe you start out a little conservative, um, you know, like you're not sure how your audience is going to respond. So you stay maybe on the conservative side with um, not as bold as subject lines or whatnot and just kind of see how people respond and what they are interested in. And that's going to help you kind of be able to customize um, your next newsletter or email a little bit further as well. Yeah, you're never going to know, you're never going to know unless you try something. So A, B testing is always the best, best concept. You know, you want to, you're, you're always going to send things to your own email addresses or, or your seeds, if you will, because you're testing if the content gets delivered into the inbox versus the junk folder. Um, all that's, the, the, the precursor to the, the mass deployment anyway. So you definitely just, you know, trial by fire, right? Or trial and error. It, it, some, some things are going to be great and some things are not. And the only way you're going to know is by just continually testing 
And I think that's another sort of big reason why people, why email gets a bad name because people will try things one time and then they don't work. And then they're like, Oh, oh back to Instagram, oh, right. back to Facebook. Yes. And it's like, no, no, it doesn't work like that. Those channels are so specific to what you can do there that you can see success at a quicker tick or a quicker turnaround because there's no, there's no, um, there's no variables. Email has variables and you have to continually test to see what's going to work and what's going to stick. So one time is not enough. I mean, you've got to, if you, if people were succeeding in that, that sense in email, just by sending out one email campaign, we'd all be uh, sitting on our yacht somewhere retired at our own. So <laughs> I, definitely, right. I definitely feel like you gotta, you gotta stick with it. Email's not, uh, it's not an easy game, but at the end of the day, it, it's always going to be the easiest way to engage with an audience in a bulk sense. Um, you know, obviously uh, it just needs, it needs that TLC. You have to be able to, to, to learn and, and know your, know your audience and the content and all that. Yeah, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap it up. You have to know your audience and, you know, so we would advise that first. And like you said, um, this this takes time, you know, and I think, you know, people just think, oh, well, that didn't work, like you said, and now forget it. I'm not going to do it. I had a poor open rates. This right. doesn't work for my business. But, you know, maybe go back to the drawing board, you know, retest some something else. And I would say, you know, we're doing that with social media, most of us. So why, you know, why do we think that email is any different? We have to test things always as marketers, whether it be on email or social media or our landing page or, you know, all of those take testing. And so I think, you know, do we just often think, oh, well, email should have worked and then it didn't. And then we get disheartened. And like you said, there's a lot to go into that. And a lot of it starts with using, you know, maybe a software like your guys, if you have a big email list, um, validating those addresses or using, you know, a software to that connects those first and last names. If you have maybe even more of that cold call B2B list, um, getting it a little more personalized and such. So I think this has been so insightful to have you on and to learn a little bit more about just how to easily fix some of these email campaign mistakes so we can all just um, move forward a little bit and um, be able to generate more sales and leads through emails because it is really effective. But there are some tweaks in this day and age that you, that you got to know. So we thank you so much, Brian, for joining us today. If people want to learn more about email oversight, how can they find you? Sure. Uh, you guys can obviously go to our site anytime you want, www.emailoversight.com, and that's S-I-G-H-T. Uh, and you guys can uh, always get us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter at Email Oversight. And if you want to reach out to anybody directly here, you can always go through me, uh, Brian at emailoversight.com. And that's Brian with a Y. <laughs> I was just going to say that. So we will be sure to link all of this in our show notes. And I really advise too, they have a really great blog all about email, it has really great tips on it. Um, so even that's just a great place to check out if you want to really kind of dive into learning more about email. Thanks, Brian, so much for being on with us today. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. So we want to know, audience, are you struggling with your email campaigns being effective? Perhaps you have a tip to share that you learned from a mistake that you made. We would love to know 
even if you are just an email rock star. We want to hear those wins too. So connect with us at 21 Handshake on social media. And we'd love to, to learn more about it and learn more about you. Did you like this episode? Hint, yes, you did. Then please like, subscribe, leave us a review and share with a friend. It really helps get the word out about this. Until next time.